Welcome to My Bible Study, a verse-by-verse devotional study through the Bible with Pastor Bob Thibodeau. In this unique series, Pastor Bob takes you through the Bible just a few verses at a time. No preaching, just a simple Bible reading with examples and explanations of the meaning behind the scriptures. My Bible study will take you from Genesis chapter 1 all the way through the book of Revelation. Now, here is Pastor Bob Thibodeau. Head towards Sodom, eventually you're going to end up in Sodom. And that's what happened with Lot. At first he lived in his tents, long before he traded in his tent for a townhouse in Sodom. Right? He may have lived in the suburbs initially. You know, he's living out here in the fields and, you know, the winds are blowing and some storms and, you know, all that. And he's like, I hate walking a whole day's journey just to go to the store. Day's journey there. And then I got to spend the night in the city. And then maybe we move a little bit closer, then I can just go half a day's journey, get my stuff half a day back home. That's, that's good. And then he, he's thinking, well, you know, why take a whole day out to go into town and come back? We move a little bit closer. I can make you know a couple hour journey, get the food, come back up. Only half a day is wasted. So he's getting closer and closer until finally, you know, the storms and live, tired of living in tents. You know, they got some nice townhomes in there, some nice apartments. You know, they're right on the edge of the city. So why don't why don't we just go ahead? You know, we'll leave the herdmen out here with the cattle and the herds and the flocks, and my family and I we can live in town. And that way they can go to the public school system in town. That way they can, you know, get jobs in town. And, and we'll just move into town. And that's what's eventually happened. Lot started out here with Abram. And then he chose to move towards Sodom. Eventually staying, he's out in the fields. And then moving closer and closer and closer until he is now living in the city. Some decisions seem very insignificant, but they set a particular course for our life. The decision itself probably wasn't very important, but its final outcome can be tragic. Often the appearance is that his choice is one that's certain to be to our advantage. Material prosperity should never be sought at the cost of spiritual compromise. Never. How time can change our perspective on prosperity. When the decision was made to settle in the Jordan Valley, it was a virtual paradise. You can read that in verse 10. Right? Moses, however, included a little remark which put this beauty in a very different light. And that's in verse 10. It says, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So what looked like a very smart decision by Lot, Moses just wanted wanted to make sure you understood it looked like this before the destruction came. How different things look in the wake of divine judgment. A beautiful paradise, and so it was, until God brought down fire and brimstone upon it. it. We'll read about this in chapter 19. From that day on, it was and has been a wasteland. Far more than the loss of his possessions and his prosperity, Lot paid a terrible price for his very short-lived pleasure. According to Peter, 
Lot's soul was continuously vexed by what he was, what he's observing in the city. Even when the saint is surrounded by sensual pleasure, he cannot enjoy sin for long. More tragic than anything, Lot paid for his decision with his family being the penalty payment. We know he lost some of his other children because they refused to obey his warnings of an impending judgment and to flee. Because of this, when it was just Lot, his wife, and two daughters, because they were the only ones who left, and when destruction started raining down on Sodom, Lot's wife was turned to salt because of her attachment to Sodom. And she turned around worrying about her children that were left in Sodom and her grandchildren. Again, we'll read about all this in chapter 19. His daughters, only knowing that that which had been their whole world, now seeing their world destroyed, they didn't know what to do, right? They seduced Lot, caused him to commit incest. No doubt a reflection on the moral values that they'd learned in Sodom. But we'll discuss that more as we get to those scriptures. You can't totally fault Lot's daughters for doing this. Okay, let me just put this, I'll say this right now. They knew the scriptures. Now, they didn't have the Bible, okay? But they knew the scriptures of how Noah was used by God to preserve mankind, and then judgment fell in the flood. Noah and his family were told to repopulate the earth. They, that's, they know that's why Noah was saved, him and his family. They also know that the rainbow was God's symbol covenant that he would never destroy the world by a flood again. So far as everything they had ever known, God had rained down fire and brimstone, and as far as the eye could see, their world was on fire and destroyed except for the spot they were in. So they probably understood in their own minds that it was now their duty. You know, the mother was gone. It's just them and their father as far as they know. They don't know anybody else. Everything else around them is being destroyed. So they make the decision, I've, just like this is just like Noah's time. God said he wasn't going to use water anymore. So I guess it's our family's turn to repopulate the earth. And since Noah was the only man left, they could have believed it was their duty to do what they did. Now, I'm not going to get any more detail on the hair. I just want to kind of throw that out there for you to ponder. That things are not always as cut and dry as they may appear. Okay, and That's one of the things I'm hoping you're getting out of this Bible study, not just today, but in every chapter as we walk through the Bible, that reading between these lines and getting to understand of the culture and the background and things like that, that is so important to understanding everything in the Bible. You cannot interpret the Bible we read today in the cultural setting of living in the 21st century. You can't do it, okay? You have to understand it from the culture setting it was written in and how that applied to that culture and then transpose that to the culture we live in today. The principles are the same. They do not change, but the cultural setting will change. Just like uh, if I'm talking to uh, using the parables of Jesus on sowing and reaping, you know, someone who lives in the city their entire life, they don't understand, you know, you plant the seed in the ground and you water it and you don't know how it grows, but it does. And they, they understand the surface 
of what's being said, but they never had to live the life of a farmer who plants the seed, prays for rain at the appropriate time, and then they see the sprouts and then the stalk and then the fruit in the stalk, then it's time for harvest. They don't understand that. They say, I want corn. They go down to the grocery store and buy corn. What's the problem? Right? What do you mean it's not season of corn? I can go down grocery store in, in January and buy corn. I don't understand why you say it's not the season for corn because they don't understand those principles of sowing, seed time, harvest, and all that. I'm getting off track here. Let's jump back in. It's interesting that God did not speak to Abram so far as the scriptures inform us until after he made the decision to separate from Lot. <laughs> Think about that while I wet the whistle here. Just like when, and we'll get into this as well, when uh, Sarai decided to use uh, her handmaiden to help Abraham get a son, for 13 years, God didn't speak to him again. But when he did, what did he tell him? I told you that you and Sarah are supposed to have a child. All right. Well, here, God told him, separate yourself from your family and get out of the land that you're, of your ancestors. Well, he brought his family with him. God didn't speak to him. Finally, it became so contentious that a lot, look, we got to separate, dude. You pick. I don't care. Just go. Then, in verse 14, right, the Lord said to Abram, after that Lot had separated from him, once he did what God told him to do, he hears from God again. The rest of the time we see references that we just said, like in chapter 12, God was speaking to the kings about Abram. He didn't speak to Abram. He protected Sarah, protected Abram by speaking to the kings, but he didn't speak to Abram. It wasn't until Abram obeyed God, then God spoke to Abram again, all right? God's call of Abram, so far as we're concerned, was to Abram alone, and so also was the confirmation in chapter 13. God had commanded Abram to leave his relatives. Blessing could not come apart from obedience to God's revealed will, and neither would any reassurance. Humanly speaking, the only thing that stood in the way of divine blessing was Abram's disobedience to the first command. God removed that barrier by providentially separating Lot. Now the promise is restated. He says, now lift up your eyes. And look from where the place you are, north, south, east, and west. All the land you see. He's looking down at the valley where Lot just chose to be his. He says, all the land you see, including that which Lot said he was going to take, I'll give it to you and your descendants forever. Abram still didn't have any kids. I'll make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. So get up, walk about this land, it's length and breadth, for I'm giving it to you, right? Lot had lifted up his eyes, verse 10, beheld the land that was before him. 
with the eyes of someone weighing a financial promise. Abram was commanded to look through the eyes of faith at God's promise. Abram here may have stood on some elevated spot, surveying the land that was his, and perhaps also the land that Lot had chosen as his. Abram had just given that up to him. If I'd been standing in Abram's sandals, I would have had many second thoughts. Had I not given up my golden opportunity? Does Sarai think that I had played the part of who? Maybe she thinks I am a fool. I failed her. I failed God. I failed everybody. Look at that beautiful green valley and look all around me at this barrenness, this desert. No water anywhere. I mean, that's what I've been thinking. Yet God assured Abram, all the land he was observing was going to be given to him and his descendants. Lot may have chosen to live in Sodom, and God had not given it to him for a possession, nor would he. Lot was to be a sojourner in Sodom. That says that in chapter 19, verse 9, because not long, he wouldn't live there long either. Right? Giving Lot the advantage was not giving up Abram's hopes for the future. It's ultimately God who brings blessing to men by his sovereign choice alone. Amen. As Abram stood there looking over the land, he could perhaps see the rich black dirt of the Jordan Valley where Lot was headed. He could see the dust which blew around him, typifying the land where he was going to now live. But God used that very dust as a testimony to the blessings that were going to come. His seed would be so plentiful as the dust that dominated the land where he lived. No longer was he to look on that dust with doubt, but with hope. Because that dust was a symbol of his future descendants and their blessings. I know this sounds absurd, but think of it like this. Every piece of sand that would get in Abram's face. Think of it as an email from a far-off relative today. Hey, just wanted to remind you that we're here, and why would you know that God loves you? Amen. That's what Abraham was reminded of, the promises of God each and every day. Is that stand would stick in his beard and all that stuff, right? That, golly, there's a little pile down here. Look at all them kids I'm going to have, you know, stuff like that. Well, God's final word to Abram in his visitation was to survey the land, which would someday be his. For now, it was not his to possess, but to inspect through the eye of faith. The promise, for I will give it to you, is future. Will give to you. Will give. It's not happening yet. It's in the future. It was not until the occupation of the land by the Israelites under Joshua that his promise was fulfilled. God's promises take time to be processed. This is because God has planned it that way, often to the last detail. Amen. How gracious God is to speak words of comfort and reassurance when all appearance of blessings seem to be out of reach. How good is it to be reminded that God's word is reliable and that his promises are as certain as he is sovereign. Ah, don't show me now I'm preaching good. Amen? Now, in verse 18, we see Abram, his response. Well, let's read it. 
Abraham removed his tent, came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Abram's response revealed a growing faith in the God who called him initially. He moved his tents not towards Sodom, but towards Hebron, settling near the oaks of Mamre. It was a plot of ground which belonged to someone else, not Abram, but it was there God wanted him to be. There, Abram built an altar and worshiped his God. We studied last time. Everywhere he went, he built an altar. We just talked about uh, he moved to Bethel, where he built an altar. Right Now he moves to, towards Hebron near Mamre, and he builds an altar again. Everywhere he goes, he builds an altar to the Most High God. Even in the face of people who did not believe and did not want to believe in his God, Abram did it anyway. How different were the paths of these two men, Abram and Lot? Even after they separated, they were different. The one, almost imperceptibly edging closer and closer to the city of Sodom, to live among the godless and wicked men, all for the sake of money. We see that in families today, don't we? The other was living the life of a sojourner, dwelling in those barren hills with his hope and the promises of God. One lives in his tent and builds an altar to worship God. The other trades in his tent for an apartment in the city of wicked men and lives among them. Here was a decision which bore heavily on these two men and, far more importantly, on their offspring. The decisions reached by Abram and Lot are the same as those which confront every person today, especially every Christian today. We must decide whether to trust in the sovereignty of God and his word or in our own schemes, our own plans, our own devices. We must determine whether to trust in the uncertainty of riches or in the God who richly supplies us. We must decide whether to invest in the passing pleasures of sin for a season or the future reward, which is promised by God to last us forever. These decisions are clearly, clearly contrasted in the separation of Lot and Abram. Lot chose to act on the basis of utility and provision. Abram on the basis of unity. Separate but together is the phrase used today. Abram told Lot, look, we don't need this contention among us. We are brethren here, right? He said, we need to separate in order to remain as close relatives. And that's what Abram made his decisions on. For the sake of unity, Abram was willing him to allow himself to be taken advantage of. Abram acted on the grounds of faith, faith in a God who had promised to provide. So, almost out of time. I don't have time to get into this too deep. If God provides you resources, money, wealth, whatever, and you use that for yourself, that's as far as your blessing goes. But if God provides you these resources and you use these resources to bless other people, God knows he can trust you with more. And more will come that way. That's what Jesus meant by sowing and reaping. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. 
If you sow material things and wealth and finances into helping other people, God can use you as a conduit to them. But the minute you start thinking, God's blessed me so much, I just kick back, take it easy, and retire and enjoy life. Your blessings are cut off. Jesus told a story about the rich man. He decided, no, I worked hard all my life. I'm going to build a big barn, keep all my stuff in it, and then I'm just going to kick back and take it easy for the rest of my life. And God spoke to that man and said, you fool. Tonight, your life is going to be required. You know, we need to be a blessing. We need to help other people less fortunate than ourselves. That's what Abraham and this story with him and Lot separated. Abram threw it all on a line. Lot, being selfish, took it. And as I said, the, the appropriate decision, the more fair decision would have been, hey, Uncle Abe, let's just use the river. It's a natural border. I'll go on one side, you go on the other. Both of us will have water. Both of us have provision, and we're both going to be taken care of. Instead, he said, I want it all. Abraham, trusting in God, said, okay, my God will provide. And he did, right? So Lot chose to direct his life on the uncertain foundation of financial security. And that foundation was quickly shaken. Abram was greatly blessed. Lot lost it all. Lot chose to dwell in a city that seemed like paradise, but was filled with sinners. Abram decided to live in a deserted place, but where he could freely worship his God. Abram beautifully illustrates the truth of two New Testament facts. First, he provides a commentary on these words spoken by our Lord. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Abram was a man of meekness. He was not a man of weakness. Meekness, as chapter 14 demonstrates. He did not have to forcefully snatch a blessing, but faithfully wait for it to come from God's own hands. He was one who was given to peace rather than to sacrifice peace for prosperity. We could learn, we, we could learn a lot from this story today. Then, too, we find this incident in the life of Abram instructive. When compared to these words spoken by the Apostle Paul, if therefore there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in the same Spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 5. Abram was successful because he was a servant. He did not get ahead in life because he climbed the hill of success over the carnage and wreckage of other men's lives who got in his way. He was exalted by God because he placed the interests of others ahead of his own interests. He did not consider Lot better than himself, as some translations wrongly suggest. Surely our Lord, who is the supreme example of humility, did not consider fallen and sinful men better than he, 
the infinite sinless God. Rather, he asked to secure their benefit at his expense. He looked to God for blessing and for justice. The world's way of getting ahead is to look out for number one. That was Lot's way. And that's what Lot, his whole life was framed on that same, same concept. Look out for number one. God's way is to bless us because as we look to him as number one. Life can only be lived by faith. Such a life can only cause our faith in God to grow. The beginning point for every man, woman, and child is to look to God for salvation. We dare not, we dare not trust in our own shrewdness to get us entrance into God's kingdom. Often what we perceive to be paradise is soon to be destroyed by divine wrath. Faith recognizes our sinfulness and trust in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary for eternal security and blessing. Our own best efforts are doomed to destruction. Only what God promises and provides will endure. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your blessings upon us this day. May your word go forth and touch people's hearts and change their lives to come and rely upon you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Be blessed in all that you do. Thank you for joining Pastor Bob as he leads you verse by verse through the Bible in this series called My Bible Study. We pray this study will bring you closer to God and reveal His Word and His will for you through the Scriptures. We would consider it an honor and a blessing if you would support this outreach with your financial offerings. We have partnered with Patreon to offer you unique gifts and benefits for various levels of giving. Please visit our page on Patreon by going to patreon.com forward slash my Bible study podcast, all one word. That link again is patreon.com forward slash my Bible study podcast, all one word. Until next time, be blessed in all that you do.